1: Coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast.
0: Arriving to shore on a land that is new or a country that is new that you've sailed to under the power of your own sails is always going to be amazing. I can't see that ever wearing off. So I love that. Crossing an ocean was something that will forever go down in my you know one of my best achievements or the best achievement that we've done because i just think that's just so damn cool
1: hello hello and thanks for tuning in on the liverpool sailing podcast i am your host annika and boy do i have a great episode for you today Today's guest has an amazing story to share and one that many of us can relate to. I talk with Erin Carey from Rome Generation, whose sabbatical turned into a lifestyle. We talk very candidly about the sacrifices that needed to be made in order to make this lifestyle a reality. Erin also shares her experience of meeting some of her idols along the way and how that actually gave her the idea to start a business. Now that business is what allows her to extend her family's sailing adventure to much longer than planned, and Erin gets to work in the most amazing locations around the world. Here is my chat with Erin from Rome Generation. So tell me, Erin, where are you now and what kind of boat do you live on?
0: Uh, We are anchored in a bay off the island of Mallorca in Spain, and our boat is a Moody 47. She's a 1984 model, so she has really thick fiberglass hull and she's sent a cockpit, um, two cabins, and, uh, yeah, she's a, a great home for my family and I, and she's taken us safely from the Caribbean to where we are now. So apparently she's crossed the Atlantic Ocean seven times six of those were without us and then by the time we crossed on her we kind of felt pretty confident because she'd done it so many times before.
1: Oh wow that's super awesome and I've seen some photos of the boat and it looks so spacious and just really like a comfortable ocean-going boat. So that's where you are now but can you paint me a bit of a picture what were your lives like before all this when you were still back in Australia and, and sailing, which is sort of a distant dream somewhere there? So what were your lives like back then?
0: Sure. So if um, if you can believe it, sailing was actually never a dream. It never once entered our heads to, to do this or do anything like this. Uh, I did grow up. Um, with my dad being a sailor on an inland lake in Wagga Wagga, in New South Wales. Uh, so that involved him dragging me along to learn to sail classes in dinghies and being teased by the cool kids because they were in their speed boats And, you know, I was with dad with, uh, you know, a dorky hat on and zinc painted on my face. and I, if you had have told me then that I would go on to live on a boat and sail, you know, partway around the world, I would never have believed you. And I would have continued not to believe you until literally the day that we watched documentary that um, pretty much changed our life. So uh, our life was very normal if there is such a thing. Uh, we were living in the suburbs in Adelaide city in south australia uh we both my husband and i both had government jobs we worked full-time our kids went to private schools life was good you know we didn't have anything to complain about we have had friends and family nearby we just did the regular things uh you know holiday once a year saved money to do house renovations we wouldn't, you wouldn't have looked at our life and said that we had anything to complain about or that we needed to change. But I think I I just had like a constant kind of sense of guilt that I wasn't spending enough time with my kids. And it also felt like we were maybe destined for more or maybe there had to be kind of more to what we were doing. So I think in the back of my mind I knew we would do something eventually um, but I would never have dreamt that this is what it would be. I probably, if I had to guess, would have thought that maybe we would have, um, you know, like travelled around Australia in a caravan or maybe we would have moved overseas and lived as expats for a while or something. Um, But it was not until one night that we were watching Netflix. It was probably, you know, 9.30 at night. We finally got the kids down, tidied up, done the school lunches, (laughs) do things that you've got to do to get ready for the next day. And uh, my husband chose randomly uh, a documentary by Laura Decker called Maiden Voyage, no Maiden Trip, I always get that one um, mixed up. And um, we, I wasn't even planning on watching it. I was just looking at my phone and uh, something kind of caught my attention after not too long and I put my phone down and I, before we knew it, like the credits were rolling, we just kind of both sat there in silence and stared at the screen. And then we both turned to each other and went, wow, let's do it like, it was that simple and that random. We would never, ever, ever, I still actually can't believe that this is our life. Like, I, I'm always saying to my husband, I can't believe we live on a boat. He'd be like, yeah, no, like, who does that? <laughs> we still say that after a few years. So yeah, it was, there's something in that documentary obviously sparked something in us and we moved to the computer straight afterwards we typed in "families sailing around the world because we didn't know a if it was possible b if it was safe and we had three kids at that stage one who was like literally one year old and you know we thought well that would probably be really irresponsible of us to do that so probably won't work out but when we found a family who had done it with Um, three kids whose kids were around similar age to what our kids would have been you know by the time we would have got aboard our motto kind of became well if they can do it why can't we and that's pretty much what kept us going for the next couple of years while we scooped and saved and did everything to to get out here.
1: That's amazing and I completely resonate with that idea of There has to be more to life, even if everything's perfectly fine, you got everything, there's nothing to complain about, but surely there's more, right? And then you see this amazing documentary of a young girl sailing around the world by themselves, like, okay, she's doing something with her life. And here we are watching it on Netflix. Like that's that's I can totally picture this how this could have been a, a light bulb moment for you.
0: Yeah. And you know, the fact that Netflix was like the best part of our day usually um you know of course there were the exceptions you had fun, we'd have fun on the weekends often one whole day would have to be spent cooking and cleaning and kind of doing everything to prepare for the week ahead but you get one day of fun <laughs> so you know I can't well again I can't say that there was anything wrong with my life but Usually the high point of the day was when we finally sat down together and watched TV. So, yeah, look, there's definitely something to be said for TV because if we hadn't have watched that show, then we wouldn't be out here. So <laughs> can't knock it too much. But an amazing story is when we actually arrived into the Azores, which, you know, I'm sure we'll kind of get to the timeline, but um, we met Laura Decker. She was there. She just happened to be there. She'd just crossed the Atlantic. She was aboard her boat. Um my husband had been out in the dinghy, he came back, and he said, Guppy, isn't that the name of Laura Decker's boat? I was like, yes. He goes, yeah, it's just here in the marina. And I was like, oh, my God. And I quickly jumped on Facebook because I had seen something about her being around the Azores but figured that her posts were probably behind time. So I just, you know, like I never would have dreamt that it would work out because how amazing is that that we actually got to meet her. And, yeah, sure enough, she was, she was there and we dinghyed straight over Uh, we got to meet her, she invited us for, we got photos with her, we literally got to tell her that you one hundred percent changed our life. So that was pretty special to be able to do that.
1: Wow, yeah, that sounds like an amazing moment, like and, and a full circle for you, but also I'm sure it was wonderful for her to hear, and I'm sure she hears it a lot, but that she's inspired people, but you guys just went for it and changed your kind of your whole life based on her experience. And that's something I wanted to ask about, because obviously making this kind of lifestyle change is always a big task for anyone. And you obviously had your house and your jobs to figure out for you and, and your husband, but you also had three kids and their lives to sort out. So with all of that going on, how long did it take you to figure out it all and, and how to make it work?
0: Yeah, so from the day that we watched the documentary to the day that we flew out of Australia on one-way tickets to the Caribbean, it took two years and two months. So that went from um, literally zero money, zero clue what we were doing, zero idea how to make it happen, to owning a yacht and flying to the Caribbean. So, yeah, look, I think that was pretty fast. I mean, you see other people that do it in five years or ten years, but we kind of went so hard that we knew we couldn't sustain that for much longer so we made so many sacrifices that were like we're just going to get this done because otherwise we're not going to last and then we'll it'll get too hard and we'll quit so <laughs> that's why we didn't want it to be like to drag on for too long.
1: Yeah two years and two months that's not bad and uh, I know there's almost like two approaches that one can take either take the long term sort of five to eight year make little changes, slowly build up to it, or just go all in and change everything right away to be able to make this dream possible. And obviously, I think you referenced that uh, you didn't have much experience in the sailing department. So how did that go all about? Obviously, in that two years, did you get sailing experience? And uh, what were some of the things that you wanted to know before you stepped on a boat or your own boat?
0: Yeah, so look, we definitely were not experienced when we arrived into the Caribbean to see our boat for the first time. I think we had a few things in our advantage. My husband was an aircraft technician, so we knew that he would have the mechanical maintenance side of thing covered. So at least that was like one less thing that we had to worry about. But to learn, what we did was we bought a 21-foot trailer sailor. So a few months after we'd come up with the idea, we the money that we'd saved by that stage I think it was about 10,000 we bought the trailer sailor and we um, basically just mucked around in it for 12 months or 18 months um, until we then sold it again for pretty much the same price what we bought it for so you know I think it's like you can't lose if you do something like that if you can buy and resell for a very similar price then you've basically got this boat that you can play around with and it's such a good way to learn because you know their stakes are smaller the sails are smaller the the cost of the boat smaller if anything happens you know things break it doesn't cost as much as when it's on the big boat but it gave us such a, a good kind of um, chance to learn the basics and um, like I mentioned my dad had been a sail instructor many moons ago so he loved coming out with us on the weekend and taught us everything kind of from scratch. Um, so we spent time basically just gaining the confidence in ourselves and our ability and uh, even do, we even did things like we had to re-rig the boat. So by doing that, just gave Dave like the chance, even though it was obviously on a much smaller scale, he re-rigged it. We had engine troubles. Uh, we had a battery that exploded while we were, we were underway. Um, you know we ran aground we probably always capsized we did made so many mistakes but it was a small boat so it was never a huge deal and it taught us a lot and like I said when we arrived to our big boat we certainly didn't feel like we were qualified to be doing what we were doing but at least we'd we'd kind of had some experience on the water we also had like all the fun times on board where we'd you know, sail to different bays and sleep, all five of us would sleep in this tiny 21-footer because we were just so excited to to be on the water and we'd have friends aboard. And for a while there we kept it in a marina because we just wanted to be able to use it as often as we could. So we found this really cheap marina. So we'd invite friends down and have drinks on the boat. And it was just a really good kind of introduction to boat life and a great taster for what was to come. So it kept us excited and... It was also a pretty cheap way to have fun on the weekends without having to spend a lot of money. So that then in turn helped us save more money. So yeah, I would really, really recommend that to people if they're considering, you know, do I do a five-day course which could cost thousands or do I buy a trailer sailor? I would say definitely, in my opinion, to, to buy a boat that you can use every weekend for, you know, the couple of years that you save you are going to get more out of that, I think, personally. But, you know, that's just the route we decided to take.
1: Yeah, that's actually a very interesting approach. So you mentioned that you bought a boat in the Caribbean and you said something like, we went to the Caribbean to see our boat. So does that mean that you bought your boat without seeing it first?
0: Correct, yeah. So we bought it sight unseen. Um, we were in Australia and uh, we'd, a- we'd actually decided at that point because We'd been searching for months and I felt really overwhelmed searching essentially the whole world, you know. I was looking in America and in Asia and in the Caribbean and in the Mediterranean and we're like, okay, this is just too hard. It's too, like there's just too many boats to choose from and I'd find all these boats that I thought were perfect fit and I'd send them to our coach um, at the time because we'd employed the services of Ian and Jamie of Sailing Totem um, and so they were super helpful in the process. said all right let's just narrow it down to the mediterranean because that way we can sail in a straight line from the med back to australia we get to see the med pacific and caribbean in one hit um and that just made sense but of course the minute that we decided to do that the boat came up in the caribbean and by that stage we had narrowed it down to a moody because we just it was just you know fit our checklist of what we were after and by the time because i'd been looking for so long when i found this boat i was like yep this is the one so i sent it to jamie who just happened to be literally around the corner like in the next bay to where our boat was sitting and um he went and had a look at it and um, you know, together with his expertise and then the surveyor's expertise, we honestly didn't think there was anything that my husband or I well, would have been to stay because flying from Australia to the Caribbean is not cheap. We didn't think there was anything that we could add that would really change the the advice that we'd been given from Jamie. Um, we had worked with them by that stage for about 12 months. So we had a really trusting relationship and, uh, you know, they'd been so helpful in every other sense that it was just a no-brainer that we trusted his opinion on this boat and you know it wasn't perfect he didn't look at it and go yes it's perfect he certainly told us about a lot of things as all boats have you know you never get a perfect survey um but we weighed up our you know the pros and cons and we decided that this boat was worth it. It was for at a really good price. We literally didn't even bargain them down. And you know that's saying a lot because I like to kind of feel like I'm getting the best thing for the least price. I always do my research and try and get a bargain. But this this boat was just at a great price. We were happy to pay what he was asking. He was obviously happy to get it. So we just bought it from Australia and the process, you know, while it wasn't completely easy, it wasn't that difficult. We found like a foreign exchange company and I can't remember now off the top of my head how it all happened but I know that it just involved transferring the money to him it kind of got put in escrow for a couple of days or whatever until we all did our parts of the paperwork and then it it was transferred to him we celebrated we own a boat even though we've never seen it and can't touch it and I'm just hoping to God that it's actually going to be there when we arrived you know he could have jumped in it and sailed to Africa or something for all we knew but it all worked out and honestly, um, it yeah, it really couldn't have been better. There was probably one thing that was a surprise. The mainsail wasn't in as good a condition as what we had hoped it to be in. But, you know, we kind of figured that was a pretty small price to to pay given that um, we'd bought the boat sight unseen. And, yeah, to this day, a few years later, she's still, like, an amazing boat and we've always been very happy with our decision to... To buy her which is thankfully you know touch wood it could have gone a lot worse but it worked
1: out yeah and what a wonderful thing to have somebody that you trust and know and already have a relationship just happens to be nearby and can go and check it out and obviously someone who is more experienced than you are so I can totally understand how you would just trust on somebody else's word. like yeah it looks like a solid boat um, and that makes total sense so yeah that's that's a great way to sort of Approach it as well. I was going to ask whether you had somebody look at it. So that that's great because you don't want to just buy it without nobody, you know, having seen it. Because then you might really buy a lemon. So it's always good to have somebody take a look.
0: Exactly. I think it's better to have someone independent to the surveyor because you know I've heard so many stories about surveyors not doing a great jobs. So. We would not have probably bought it with just the surveyor's opinion, but of course we had Jamie and the surveyor. I think for us it worked out, but I'm not saying everyone should go and buy a boat sight unseen because, you know, there are so many parts of a boat that could go wrong or, you know, that are important for you to know the full story about, but we, we got lucky for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's always a, a bit of a hurdle to buy a boat internationally and especially if you're then using... Uh, as you would uh, a surveyor in in that destination. And you obviously don't know that person and you don't know what's the background. Are they best friends with the person who's selling it or anything like that? And I'm sure there's a whole range of uh, qualified surveyors anywhere in the world, but you just always want to know a little bit more about these things. So um, was the boat sort of ready to be sailed right off the harbour where you found it or did it require a little work?
0: Uh, Look, she did require some work. We we were, because we were new to sailing, we couldn't get insurance for the boat unless we fixed every single thing on the survey. So that was a nightmare. Luckily, Dave was, you know, young and fit. And <laughs> even though it was only three or four years ago now, it feels like a lifetime ago, if we had to do it again, that would kill us. But he was very keen with us. We were right at the start of our journey. And he just basically went crazy for six weeks in the boatyard and like crossed off I think there were 75 items on the survey that he had to fix um (laughs) so a lot of the things were small things you know there might have been a half a dozen things in the critical or the category a or however they they did it and then there was you know 50 things in the category d like the steering wheel cover is degrading and the silicon around the sink needs replacing and the tap, the washer tap stripping. Yeah, there were so many little things and, and towards the end we just I think we reached out to them and said, Honestly this is ridiculous. you want us to replace the sticker on the side of the boat? That has no impact on the safety whatsoever. We are so like we're sweltering, we're getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. There's no wind because we're in the you know the boat yeah we don't have a toilet we don't have any cooking facilities can we please launch the boat and at least just anchor or be in a mooring ball to you know finish the remainder of the jobs and uh yeah they agreed
1: so you finally got on the water uh and you needed to continue fixing all the ridiculous little things which i can imagine must have been such a pain did you get insurance from Australia or from locally where you were in the Caribbean?
0: Yeah, we got Australian insurance when they wanted us to complete this whole list. I did try and get uh, insurance through someone else and I, we just couldn't get it. So, yeah, we got it through Top Sail, I believe, is the company we've used. But there's another one there called Pantaneous. I think we've had it through both of them at once, you know, at different stages. Um, but they still kind of tend to be the best for us. Uh, And they offer a 10% discount for women who sail, which is awesome. So that actually, when it's, you know, $3,000, it makes quite a big difference.
1: So obviously you got everything fixed up to the uh, satisfaction of the insurance company and uh, you were able to set sail and start exploring and living the life that you had sort of set out to live and uh, spending family time in amazing location and all that. And you had obviously left your jobs in order to do that. And from I got a little bit of a sense that it wasn't too much of a grief to leave your jobs back in Australia. But now, jumping as real time, you run a PR business, uh, which you started while you were sailing. So walk me through that. How did that happen? And why did you end up creating a job after essentially escaping one, if you, if you want to call it that?
0: Yeah, so well, when we left Australia, we actually were both on two years' leave with that pace, so we both knew that we had jobs to go back to. So our first time around on the boat, um, which was from the Caribbean to the Azores, uh, was just almost um, two years and that was just meant to be a sabbatical. So we never intended to live on the boat long term. Um we saved up enough money to last about two years. We had our jobs to go straight back to, like essentially, you know, two weeks after returning to our jobs, we knew we had a pay packet coming. So that was going to be the plan. However, after about twelve months of being out on the boat, I I just felt like I wanted a challenge and we were also going through money faster than what we expected, which I think, you know, is pretty common when you speak to people. So we I just thought, what can I do that uh, you know aligns with my skills and what would I enjoy and at that stage well I still currently do I was keeping um, my Facebook page because Sailing to Rome and people were always saying you know I love your writing um, you should do, you know, be a writer and I mean to me that kind of sounded ludicrous I am a terrible speller I've never been an you know amazing at writing but I was enjoying keeping my Facebook page and I felt like I always had you know quite a lot to write about because we were living this kind of crazy um inspiring lifestyle so i thought all right i'll try my hand at writing for sailing magazines and um yeah look i ended up being pretty successful i think i had i don't know near on 100 articles published over the next 12 months and it started earning us you know enough money not to uh, fully sustain our adventure but certainly to contribute to our budget and um during that time I we just happened to be in the same bay as SV Delos we'd met them a few times because we had both been sailing the Caribbean chain at the same time and uh, I interviewed them I'd been given an assignment because I was writing for a Caribbean newspaper called the Caribbean Compass and uh, the editor there asked me if I could go and interview SV Delos for an article so you know they were our idols in the lead up to going on this trip and whilst I'd met them previously a few times it was still very exciting for me to go aboard their boat and sit and interview them for a couple of hours and you know i did that and i wrote an article and they were really happy with it and it was published in a few different places and um one day i just got an email from alex actually just saying you know we're wondering if you could work for us we we really liked what you've done with the article and we just kind of want you to keep doing that if possible so that was a real kind of pinch me moment I couldn't believe that you know SV Dallas wanted me to work for them like that you know I could could I would literally pay to work for you kind of thing that's how you know how much of an inspiration they were to us so that was super exciting and before long uh when I was kind of writing these articles about them and pitching them to editors and different magazines I realized that what I was doing which we called marketing at the time wasn't actually marketing but it was PR and uh, so I started learning more about PR because I thought you know I really like this and I'm actually pretty good at it and it suits my skill set I you know I come from an office kind of job in the government where I was interviewing people I was writing reports I was making recommendations and decisions and uh, everything that I learned from there even though it really didn't have much to do with PR was transferable to this new job that I kind of found myself in. So I I worked for Esfidelis after that for 18 months and it was amazing. They are essentially responsible for me starting my own business. I mean, obviously I did did all the work and made it happen. But if it wasn't for them believing in me and trusting in me um, right at the start, then I wouldn't have probably ever come up with this idea. I didn't actually know what PR was prior to working for them and now I run a PR agency. So yeah, look, it's it's crazy how life works out. Basically buying a boat completely changed our life and had we have not taken that that chance and been brave enough to leave all of our old life behind, then I would never have met SV Delos and I would never have come up with this business idea. And yeah, I wouldn't today be running a PR agency from a boat as we sail around the world. And, you know, one that now does support our lifestyle and will hopefully allow us to continue sailing around the whole world, which um, is the new goal.
1: What a wonderful example of you going and sort of Sailing leisurely around and thinking, look, we need a little more income. And literally your Facebook followers telling you, like, why don't you go write? And then you write. And then people are like, hey, why don't you write for me or about me? That's amazing. And just goes to prove what amazing doors a whole new lifestyle can open. And probably you never thought this kind of thing would happen. you didn't plan for it. It's just kind of organically developed, which is um, super cool to hear that example, And you made a reference to marketing versus PR. And for anyone listening, do you just want to quickly recap what is PR in in this sense? What is it that you do?
0: Yeah, so PR is basically compelling the media to write something about you. So marketing is an ad, for example, and when you place an ad in a magazine, you tell them what to write. And so it doesn't come with as much weight, whereas in PR, I... You know, I interview my clients, or my one of my team members. We'll, we will learn all about them, and we'll find out kind of what sets them apart. What's their what's their hook? What's the differentiation? Um, and then we basically come up with a bunch of story angles, and we pitch those to the media. So if we think that a particular story would be a fit. In the New York Times, for example, we we write an email to a journalist at the New York Times explaining why we think that their story would be a great fit and what value they can add to the New York Times audience. Um, and we essentially compel the journalist to write about them. And then when that article is published, it has so much more weight than an ad does because we've had no control over what the journalist says. So yeah, that's the beautiful thing about PR and. You know, because I have been running my boat from, sorry, running my business from a boat, I've been able to do PR myself as well. So it, it definitely works. And, um, you know, even things like what I'm doing now is is part of promoting yourself and building your brand, raising that brand awareness. And um, podcasts are actually really awesome to to do that. So we arrange podcast interviews for our clients as well and we do arrange TV interviews, we get them in newspapers and magazines, um, we arrange collaborations with YouTube channels or influencers on Instagram. So it's, yeah, it's a super fun job and I, I luckily love what I do.
1: <laughs> and it sounds like a really rewarding job as well because you're connecting people with journalists and other medias. Like, hey, these guys have a really cool story, you should really check this out and hear something you should know about them. And, you know, then they go and and do the uh, interview or whatever it is. And then the article comes out and you can, even though you haven't written it, it's like I made that happen. So that's fantastic. I can definitely see the value value in that. And there's also so much now with social media. Like you said, there's Instagram and then there's, you know, New York Times and then there's everything in between. So that's pretty cool. uh, And I'm sure that's also nice for you to have something sort of uh, mentally stimulate you. I'm sure the building a lifestyle is pretty stimulating anyway, but, uh, you know, intellectually stimulating when you don't have your normal job to have something to, to do.
0: Yeah, definitely. Look, we, we were lucky enough that we took six months leave without pay back before we had kids and we traveled. And um, we realized after about three or four months that there's only really so much flying on a beach and drinking cocktails and, You know, we were backpackers at the time so it was nothing flash. but we weren't working and after three or four months we kind of went, maybe working's actually not that bad, maybe we're just in the wrong jobs and I think that's what it was like out here. The first year on our boat was like absolutely amazing and I loved it. would never want to change that, being with the kids 24-7, exploring, learning about them and getting to know them because essentially, you know, when you live the normal life, you don't get to spend that much time with them. But I did miss, like, the challenge of using my brain and creating things, and and I think that that has allowed, you know, living on a boat has allowed me to be so much more successful than I would have been at home. And I don't know why, I, you know, now that I've done this, I say to myself, why didn't I do this sooner? Sure, I could have, but the I guess I just wasn't inspired like I was to do that out here. So... Yeah, I mean even I guess that's a takeaway even if you you don't need to change your entire life by moving onto a boat but maybe something small will inspire you to come up with a new job or a new career and that could be completely different to living on a boat and whether you're things like living in a caravan or living in a tiny house or, you know what I mean, like it just doesn't have to be boat life that you have to wait for to inspire you, just look for something that piques your interest and then kind of follow it and see what happens after that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's really obviously important for any kind of uh, longevity, longevity? is that how you say it? (laughs) For any kind of longer term plan for you to for anyone to enjoy their job and to keep going and obviously I think one of the perks in the boating lifestyle or the sailing lifestyle is that you keep constantly changing your scenery which cannot get boring like you get constantly stimulating and inspired by what's around you so I can see how the sailing lifestyle goes very well with a creative job like yours when you are constantly inspired by what's around you. So I would imagine that starting and also growing a business adds a whole new aspect to the sailing experience. And I'm curious to hear what would you consider um, to be the biggest advantages or challenges of running a business while sailing the world?
0: Yeah, look, uh, you know, there are the obvious things like internet and um, being uncomfortable. <laughs> but they're the things, I think the thing that sets me apart is the very fact that I, is my you know, my my point of differentiation, I am different from any other PR agency in the world and that's because I live on a boat. So, you know, I've got so much to be thankful for the fact that I live on a boat, even though it's like super hard and uncomfortable a lot of the time. But because I live on a boat, I've been interviewed by like Forbes and Condé Nast Traveller and uh, Business Insider, CNBC. You know the list goes on. Uh, I also intimately understand the lifestyle of many of the brands that we represent. So, for example, uh, you know we've got numerous charter companies, um, boats. I mean businesses that are related to boating. Uh, we I understand that, so I'm able to ghostwrite for my clients or um, answer interview questions on their behalf if they're unavailable. Because like we literally live the lifestyle we're representing, um, and then you know on the travel side of things because we are our niche is travel and lifestyle we're living the lifestyle we represent so we're we're out here with the tourists we're traveling we're seeing what it's like in particular countries we're visiting the tourist destinations we're experiencing uh you know COVID firsthand and all of those kind of things so uh I think that you know while you can say there could be some cons to living on a boat and running a business for a boat the positives in my mind definitely outweigh the negatives um we have lower overheads we also um are lucky enough that we you know i am always feeling really inspired i suppose because we are in beautiful places and I've got beautiful scenery outside of my window and, you know, I don't obviously spend all of my time down in my cabin working. Um, my job's really flexible. So if I want to go out in the morning for a walk or if we decide to go for a swim like we did just uh, just before this interview, you know, I can I can work at night. I can work essentially any time of the day because I have clients all over the world. So, you know, I don't have to work nine to five to fit in with anybody and i think that's the biggest advantage is that uh, i i am in control of my my own time and my own schedule i suppose and that's really freeing and doesn't allow me to get bitter or disgruntled like you might do if you're working a regular job and i think that that then just benefits my clients because you know i continue to love what i'm doing so and also they know that if i I screw it up (laughs) then that there goes my trip on a yacht around the world so I've got pretty good incentive to make this work and um and a reputation to uphold as well you know I'm not going to give substandard service my clients aren't I mean my contractors aren't going to do that because we want to keep this thing going you know come I've stumbled across a, a really good lifestyle here and i want it. i want it
1: to keep going yeah it's definitely not one of those nine to five jobs and i think that's probably one of the best things like you said you can just make up your own schedule which is great but speaking of nine to five jobs you mentioned earlier that you took a two-year leave of absence uh from your jobs in australia and i think it has been over two years since you left so what has happened with your jobs back in australia
0: yeah so they're long gone uh so uh what happened is that we did our almost two-year sabbatical. Uh, that allowed us to cruise the Caribbean and then sail across the Atlantic Ocean, and we ended up in the Azores, um, an archipelago of islands in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, by that stage, we were about ready to go home. We'd come to the en- almost to the end of our two years. We'd run out of money, and we were just ready to see our family and stuff. So. It, because we were where we were it was like we either sail for another seven days and you know then we're just on the outside of the Mediterranean and we figure out where we're going to store our boat and everything or we just leave the boat where it was which was cheaper than the Mediterranean and it didn't. It meant we didn't have to go back to sea which you know we didn't really feel like doing another week long passage after having just sailed across you know for 17 days so we went home, which was meant to be for six months. It was meant to be like a chance to refill our kitty, um, let's see our families, just have some time away from the boat to recharge. Uh, and of course, we all know what happened um, in February two thousand and twenty, <laughs> and basically we became trapped in Australia. Uh, so everything, all of our plans went out the window. We had a boat on the other side of the world that we were pl- paying, you know, storage fees for, that we never knew if and when we would be able to see it again. And so in the end we ended up being at home for 18 months Uh, and uh, it it was about six months of being home that I was doing both my PR business and working in my job part-time and I was trying to balance both Um, that I went, you know what, I have got my business to the stage where I'm confident that I'm going to make it work and even though my job was a good job, it was in the government, it had security, it had allowed me to have, you know, periods of leave without pay and I'd had three children with maternity leave. It was a great job. But that kept me stuck in that job for so long because I had that hang over my head. Every time I thought to leave, I'd be like, oh, but it's such a good job. I don't want to lose those benefits. Um, and I, but I just got really brave one day and went, you know what, I'm going to back myself. My Rome generation, my company and it was just a sole trader at that time it's going to work so I quit my job and I've never looked back Uh, I think within like a month of quitting I was making the same as what I was earning in that job and now like I'm earning more and there's like not an iota of regret that I left that job so by quitting, that allowed me to, for the next a year that we were stuck at home, to really build my business into uh, an agency, to hire staff, to basically be completely in location independent in the hopes that we would get back to our boat and continue the journey. Um, so after being home for about 12 months, we, I mean, we'd had all sorts of doubts during that time that maybe boat life wasn't for us and because you know you get back home and you kind of sucked back into land life and kids started back in sports and they were going to school and they'd made all new friends and you know our family was loving having us back in in the country and um we started to think maybe we'll sell our boat you know we looked at high schools for our son who's due to start high school next year and we we did tours, and I remember we both went on a tour to a high school. And afterwards, we actually just felt really stupid. And we looked at each other and went, We can't compete with that. Like, homeschooling our boat is nothing like the opportunity he's going to get going to this fabulous school. And so, for a while there, I think maybe deep down, we didn't think we'd go back to our boat. But time kind of went on, and maybe, you know, the timeline might be off a bit here, but maybe after 12 months or 14 months at home. We had been there long enough that we, our, like our heart, literally started to ache for our boat. We'd look at our videos and our photos, and we just decided that you know we're not done with boat life. We haven't even finished crossing the Atlantic. We need to get back on our boat and we need to finish what we started. Uh, so we sold our house in Australia. We sold all of our belongings, um, and we applied to the government because Australia's not letting anyone out um, to to leave and because the boat was now primary place of residence, they approved that. And um yeah, in February of this year, twenty twenty one, we went back to our boat in the Azores. And since then we've sailed across the rest of the Atlantic, uh past Portugal and up the coast of Spain and that brings us to here now in majorca And uh this is no longer a sabbatical, this is our lifestyle and we're just gonna keep going for basically as long as it's fun
1: what an amazing journey you guys have had from going from now this is just a sabbatical and then going back home like oh, it's kind of nice being home. And then full circle, actually, no, what are we doing? We have a super cool life waiting for us there. And and now you're back at it. So that's fantastic to hear. And actually, one of the reasons I really wanted to chat with you is that you have sailed both in the Caribbean and now in Europe and the Mediterranean. So I'm curious if you have noticed any kind of differences between the sailing in general, all the liveaboard lifestyle uh, between these places.
0: Yeah, actually, my husband and I talk about this quite a bit. There are quite a few differences and they're quite noticeable. So the first thing we notice is that there are definitely less kid boats over here, which we knew we were aware of that fact. But, you know, we've been lucky where we are that there has been two kid boats here recently. Prior to that, we went months without any kids. That was really hard on our children. There are less US and Canadians, a lot more Europeans, obviously, because we're in Europe. But that means a lot less English-speaking people and the sailing conditions are hard over here so the weather's a lot less predictable uh you know they call it the Mediterranean because you just always seem to be motoring the wind's always from the wrong direction or it'll say that the waves are going to be or the swell's going to be one foot and it's like five foot or so we've noticed that that's been really difficult my husband's always like, like what you know I checked the weather this isn't what it's meant to be and uh you know after a while of kind of feeling like he kept getting it wrong we speak to people and realize that that's kind of just how it is over here there seems to be I mean whilst we've only sailed you know along the bottom and up the side of Spain there seems to be a lot less protected anchorages so that means there's been a lot of roly nights and um, that's resulted in us going into a marina so in the Caribbean we literally uh, you know, stayed in one marina in the eighteen months that we were there and that was because we had visitors. Uh here we've stayed in countless marinas because, you know, I just can't work when the boat is completely rocking and rolling and we're literally all feeling seasick. But, you know, in a way that's been nice. Staying in you know, a marina is a bit of a luxury for us and that means unlimited power and you know, I've loved nothing more than stepping off my boat and going and getting coffee and going to cafes and going for walks around the city and stuff. So that's been you know, really enjoyable. Um, there's also less of a sense of community over here that we've found in the Caribbean. We really felt like we were like we were taken under the wing of so many people and I think that's, that is how we were able to get up to speed and to learn as much as we did because we had so much help. I think had we have started here, it would have been so much harder and we've met friends here that have started in Europe and they've said, like, oh, my God, it's so hard and uh, we've explained to them, you know, the kind of things we experience in the Caribbean compared to what they've experienced here and that's definitely one of the things we've noticed is there is isn't that sense of community and, you know, there's not always going to be another cruiser that's going to be able to teach you how to use your... Snubber, or you know, whatever it is that you you need to learn. But in saying all that, the sea, like the shore side excursions, and you know, the cities and the food and the culture is just so much better, in my opinion. I mean, I loved the Caribbean. Don't get me wrong; I absolutely loved Grenada. A piece of my heart is still there, and like I can't even explain the love that I have for Grenada. And our time spent there was just like I'll never forget it. But I, I'm also loving the Mediterranean and I, I just loved, you know, the cobbled streets and the, the coffees and the sangria and the, you know, everything about Europe. So it's like comparing apples and oranges. I couldn't really say which is best, but um, there definitely are a lot of differences. So, yeah, good question.
1: Yeah, I know there's uh, definitely lots to love in both places. And it's kind of nice that they are different as well because if they were all just the same, then where would it be the fun in that? Exactly.
0: <laughs> and and we're heading to Tunisia next and I'm really excited because that's going to be different again. So, yeah, lots of diversity over here in in Europe which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, in Europe you can be in a whole different culture, uh, you know, whether it's Europe or Africa. Or almost even to the Middle East, if you want to. So there's lots to choose from there as well, and I'm sure this all keeps your kids very excited as well. I and mean, you are on a family adventure. And actually, I have a two-part question. Uh, if you can remind us of your kids' ages, um, and I'm just wondering, you know, you were talking a little bit about your going back to your life in Australia. Uh, you know how they'd be going to high school and just starting that looking at these sort of more traditional options and so I'm wondering what do you hope that this lifestyle will teach your kids
0: uh so well I've got three boys they're age 7 10 and 12 and yeah you know look they they went to private schools and then when we decided to do this boat trip we actually pulled them out of the private school sent them all to public schools that was one of the sacrifices that we made because we wanted to save money and you know guess what they were actually just as amazing and we should have done that all along but then when when we started looking at high schools and realizing I just distinctly remember we went to this classroom and all of the kids had on virtual reality goggles and the teacher said oh they're just walking through a remote village in Sarajevo at the moment during Oh know it was walking through a concentration camp or something and I was like God, you know, that's so much more advanced than any of the kind of schooling that we would be able to offer on the boat. But then after a little while we started going, is it? I mean, we could probably literally walk through that camp. You know, we don't have to do it on virtual reality or we can literally take them to ancient ruins or they can, you know, experience so many things over in this lifestyle that we kind of started backing ourselves and going you know what we believe deep down in our heart that being on the boat is the right place to be and we're doing the right thing for them let's just own it and look if if it turns out we've made the wrong decision then so be it there is no rule book no one knows if they're doing the best thing for their kids no one knows that sending their kids to this fancy private school is going to be the best thing for them you just think it will be or you believe it will be so We just believe that what we're doing is going to benefit them. So, you know, the things that I want them to be, you know, to learn from this lifestyle is that, you know, they do have the power to create a lifestyle that works for them. They don't have to to work nine to five. They don't have to get a job that they don't like. They can create a, a lifestyle. I'm hoping that, you know, they'll be inspired by me being an entrepreneur. I'm hoping that they might come up with a business that, you know, works for them and allows them to, do something equally crazy that makes them feel alive because I know like I worked in my office for 20 years. I know how like soul crushy it can be to just be around people that are miserable all day and to be doing something that doesn't light you up. But I think it was so ingrained in me that, you know, you work hard, you you, you study, you get a job, you buy a house, you know, you do all the traditional things. And while I want my boys obviously to have those experiences as well I want them to also have the worldliness that you can't get from going to a school or the tenacity that you get because boat life's so damn hard and you just have to figure it out all the determination not to give up uh, when they come across something that's super hard as they're going to come across in their life because they saw mum and dad like figure it out time and time again because that's what boat life is Um, Their ability to problem solve you know there's so many things or values I think that we are teaching them um, just by living on a boat and seeing us make it happen and make it work day in and day out that I don't know I I'm certain that they're going to turn out to be amazing kids because I just believe in my heart they will and you know they might not have the highest paying job or the most prestigious role but I think, you know, don't they say that the kids always go on to do more than their parents? So if their parents have started around the world, what are they gonna do? <laughs> Fly to the moon? They're gonna do something crazy, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I cannot imagine that they would turn out bad in any way having had this kind of life experience in at such a young age, but old enough to remember it anyway. And I really love what you said that uh This will make them feel alive and hopefully they keep that feeling because a lot of us have kind of grown up on the, you go to school and then you go to work. Like for example, my parents, they were literally in the same jobs for 40 years, same job, same role, same thing, very old school. And I took that not as an inspiration, but as something I definitely do not want to do. Uh, So I'm so happy and glad to see that there are people like yourself now out there showing their kids and doing things with their kids They're showing, like, hey, there, there's more to life than just school and then work and then you retire and maybe go on a vacation.
0: Exactly. exactly. And, you know, I don't think waiting for retirement is the key to anything these days. Like have mini retirements, have sabbaticals, figure out a way that you can travel and work at the same time. You know, there's things like me running my PR agency from a yacht no longer seems so crazy and um, now that I work from home like I work way harder than I ever ever did when I worked in an office but probably because you know I'm working for myself I I have that sense of purpose now which you know I want other people to experience I suppose because it really is so much more meaningful than, than just doing what this is what society suspects to be, expects to
1: be. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, work life is changing anyway, so I can only imagine what the next generation will have as work life, just because there's so many more opportunities that we don't even know about yet. So it's, it's really cool to see uh, where all this is going. And obviously with any work, there's always highs and lows. And um, I've talked to quite a few Liverpool sailors now, but one thing has been common with everybody and it's that there are highs and lows with the sailing lifestyle. And usually the highs are really, really high and the lows are really, really low. Uh, So it's kind of a learning experience all the time as you keep going. And I'm wondering now with your experience of a few years going around uh, in the Caribbean, Mediterranean, Europe. Do you have any kind of a big takeaway from this experience? Look,
0: I think that this whole experience has taught me that I can do hard things. I can pull off so much more than I ever thought possible. You know, the fact that we've done the boat thing and that we've, you know, made it work and now they have started up a business, I, I just kind of think now what else can I do that i never dreamt possible you know I never in a million years thought that I could do this and I've made it happen so what's next and I think you know when you start doing or achieving those hairy scary goals um it changes you and you can't go back to the person that you were so you're not going to settle for the for mediocrity anymore because you're grown beyond that now so do like I'm just so confident if you do one big scary thing it's the next big scary thing it's not going to feel so hard and before you know it you've done like a bunch of crazy stuff and you've got a bunch more crazy stuff to come because you believe you can do it now.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, and obviously, the, the way is always to, or the goal is always to be a better version of yourself. So, like you said, you're not going to go backwards. So, once you start doing these seemingly crazy things, it can only lead to more good things happening. So, I love that for sure. But speaking now of all these positive things that the sailing lifestyle can bring, what would you say brings you the most joy in this lifestyle?
0: Look like it's hard because yeah the the joyful things aren't every day. We do live a normal life. You know, we still have the the fights and the kids that drive us crazy and the you know we're just not we're normal in that sense. But the things I think that still bring me joy or that bring me the most joy would be you know, seeing my children experience something for the first time or knowing that I've we've created something that allows our children to do something that they wouldn't have been able to do at home. Like like arriving to shore on a land that is new or a country that is new that you've sailed to under the power of your own sails is always gonna be amazing. I can't see that ever wearing off. So I love that. Crossing an ocean was something that will Forever go down in my, you know, one of my best achievements or the best achievement that we've done because I just think that's just so damn cool. Uh, I can imagine me being ninety and saying, you know, I crossed an ocean. So yeah, that that's definitely up there. But I think above everything, it's being in control of my own time and not having to do anything essentially that I don't want to do. You know, obviously. That is within the laws and, you know, being a good person and morals and values and everything. But outside of that, we can do really what we want at any time of the day. If I want to sleep until 10 and work until midnight, I can. If I want to get up early, we can do that. If we decide that we want to go climb a mountain, we can. There's really no, no expectation on us to do anything other than what we want to do. That's just... That's, for me, the real the real meaning of happiness.
1: Yeah, that's really well said. And I think, obviously, just by its nature, the sailing lifestyle is kind of a lifestyle for freedom. Not that it means that it's without its responsibilities, but it certainly leans on the uh, you're very free to do whatever you want, go wherever you want, and you can go because it's by the ocean. You can go literally anywhere. And that's one of the reasons that really attracts uh, me to this lifestyle as well. And then one of the reasons why I want to pursue it as well. And uh, as I mentioned before, we started the chat That sort of my goal with this podcast is to learn and also share these learnings with um, everybody else who might be listening. So this is sort of my segue to the advice section of this podcast that I'm wondering whether you would have uh, some tips to share to somebody who's thinking about doing the transition from land life to the sailing life?
0: Yeah, look, you know, there's a, a million things that I could say, but I think uh, one of the best pieces of advice that we were given, and I think this is was by BN and Jamie, uh, is to set a date. So if you decide that you do this boat life, don't, don't say one day. Watch your language, you know, change the way that you say that. Just say, yeah, one day we're going to live on a boat. No, we are going to live on a boat and that's going to be, on the 1st of June, 2024, you know, set a date and talk about it as though failure is not an option. So set a date and do that without, you don't have to know how you're going to make it happen. Just decide that you are going to make it happen. Then you can figure the rest out, make sacrifices. I mean, that's obvious, but I mean, like, I'm not talking cut out, you know, one takeaway meal a week. I'm talking about like make real sacrifices. We had international uni students, sometimes two living with us at the same time. We only had a three-bedroom house. Our children moved into the lounge room and slept in the lounge room. We had two students living with us. I had to cook for them, clean for them, like do their laundry, make their lunches. Like It was hard, but you know it wasn't going to kill us. It was only for two years, and because of that, we saved up enough money to be able to do what we're doing now. Um, so, you know, make real sacrifice. Nothing worthwhile is going to be easy, but like it really is going to change your life. So, it's worth those couple of years' sacrifice. And thirdly, don't give up. Again, so obvious, but if you don't stop, you can't fail. So, if you just keep working towards it, you, you know you're going to get there eventually. Just don't give up. There's going to be so many times when you want to give up. But, you know, if you're feeling that way, go watch some SV Delos, go watch La Vagabond, listen to your podcast, you know, like do things that keep you inspired and remind you why you're doing what you're doing in the first place and you can't fail. You will get there eventually. You'll figure out a way. If if we figured it out, so can you. (laughs) So they're my tips.
1: Thank you. I love those. They're so very real life examples and very actionable as well. So thank you for sharing these. And my last question for you has to do with learning about this lifestyle or in this lifestyle. As many people have told me, you never stop learning. As soon as you step your foot in a sailboat, you will keep learning. So I'm wondering, do you have a skill that you wish you had learned sooner?
0: Look, there are so many skills that I still need to learn. I definitely don't proclaim to be a very good sailor or to have that covered at all. But I think that what I wished I had learned sooner was to believe in myself and to back myself and to not uh, restrict my aspirations or my goals because I thought that I was just average, you know, why I would never have dreamt this up because I would never have thought that I could pull this off. And so now I've learned to basically dream big and believe that I'll be able to do it. And when you kind of believe in yourself, that you think it like it it happens. So yeah, back yourself. And that's what I wish I had have done, you know, a long time ago.
1: Yeah, that's very good. And it's definitely a, a skill that you need to consciously do. Uh, well, Erin, thank you so much. You've shared so many great examples. You are such an inspiration. And I'm wondering if you want to share, where can we go follow your journey online?
0: Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Annika. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. You've done such a great job. Uh, So my business, Rome Generation, is at www.romegeneration.com. And we are on social media at Rome Generation. And our boat journey is at sailing to Rome. So sailing to Rome, R-O-A-M. I should clarify that Rome generation is R-O-A-M. And um, there you'll be able to find, you know, the trials and tribulations of living on a boat and sailing around the world with three kids. Um, And then other than that, you can email me at erin at romegeneration.com.
1: Wow, what a chat! Erin talked about meeting those who inspired her along the way, and now, after listening to her story, I am sure that you can agree how Erin herself is an inspiration to many, at least she is for me, and I am so thankful that Erin shared so much good advice for everybody. And I would actually love to hear from you, who has inspired you to get into the sailing lifestyle? Send me a message on Instagram or Facebook as Liverboard Sailing Podcast. I am really curious to hear your answers. And next week, I have a guest who has been sailing the high seas for decades, and there will be some solid advice coming up again next week. So I will see you then.